we always try to do a stew hour at the top of the podcast <laughs> because we've learned there's a lot of overlap between movie fans and stew eaters, <laughs> Bethy being the rare exception. Everybody, you're listening to Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. I am Thomas Grabinski, and as always, joined by my esteemed co-host, Bethy Squires. Bethy, how's it going? Doing good, Thomas. How are you? Good, but a little bit vexed. Tonight's movie's a weird one. I, uh, you know, I've been asked soup or salad before, mm-hmm. but I've never heard of super bad I always go bad because you never know with soup because it usually like it comes in a bag. It's not usually made by the restaurant. So I, I usually pick bad. That's a good that's a good move. Well, we should we should ask our guest. But before we do that, we'll we'll introduce him. So tonight we are joined by Michael Chow, of whom I was a huge fan before he became a pal. <laughs> Some of you may know him as Mr. Chow, uh, a Twitter legend, often in the film sphere. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're, you're way too kind. <laughs> Just kind enough. <laughs> um, so, Michael, if you had to choose soup uh, or bad. <laughs> uh, I would probably go with soup. I prefer soup to bad. Me too. Should we hit Michael with our favorite top of the episode segment before we get into one of my favorite movies absolutely michael we ask everybody on this podcast because you know we started this podcast because thomas and i both like to look up at a tv at a bar and see that you know the brett ratner hercules is playing and just (laughs) idly pay attention to it or the alexander skarsgård tarzan those are the two (laughs) but what is your relationship to watching movies in bars is it something that you look for in a bar is it a fun way to watch a movie to you or do you prefer keeping those two tastes separate i do like watching movies at bars i remember uh i used to like improv at second city hollywood and we would go to like borders after and they would like always play like shitty movies there so we'd watch movies like oh yeah a movie called like bitch slap which is like this like really bad like grindhouse type movie they just kind (laughs) of play like whatever they play like stuff with like I don't know. They just kind of play like whatever. Bordner's is an insane place. It's a fave of mine. I think I also went there for the first time after a Second City hmm. Hollywood show. One, t- like they'll play movies with like a lot of boobs in them. Which oh I yeah, feel definitely. Like is, it's a twenty-one and up place. You know, you're you're letting everyone know. You're letting everyone know what kind of place you are. It's like they do share a bathroom with like a fetish club, so it's only fair. <laughs> That's that true. You're right. Movies. Is that real? It's a, like goth fetish yeah, club, right? It's bar sinister. It's technically a goth club, but they have hmm. like so many fetish nights. It's like you're really muddying the distinction. There. Isn't that where the uh, Silicon Valley guy was going to? Oh, what's his name? Uh, no, that wasn't okay. that one. Okay, it was a different one, and it also okay. wasn't. The S&M club that was in the basement of the Cat and Fiddle. Hmm. That was a different one, too. Okay. I didn't know there was, like, so many S&M clubs in LA. <laughs> there, well, there are, I think there were three, like, sex clubs in Hollywood specifically, like, on the sure. boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for both of you related to this movie we're about to talk about, Superbad. What mm-hmm. was your, if you drank in, like, high school, what was your mm-hmm. teen drink of choice? Uh, I was, like, sober during high school. I didn't start drinking until I was, like, probably, like, 19, I want to say. 
maybe like 18, 19. That's still underage, though. Like, what? Because your your options are so yeah, that's a, it's illegal. <laughs> its options are so limited when it's technically illegal. So, like, mm-hmm. my parents got me a bottle of Malibu rum that I said I wanted to bake with, and that was my like <laughs> go to for a while. <laughs> and I did bake with it. Sure, I made like boozy frosting with it, and then took the cake to school. Oh wow! So. Malibu is like straight up syrup. I remember people had that in college, and I was like, whoa, this stuff is hard. <laughs> I, I, I'm i like Michael. I didn't uh, drink in high school. I was too scared. But I was scared, I too. But I started drinking. <laughs> as soon as I started college, I was, I was ready to go. Uh, and my drink of choice, unfortunately, was something called Hawkeye Vodka, hmm. which is a regional brand. Uh, it's a $13 handle. It hmm. uh, tastes and smells like acetone, <laughs> but I-, I didn't know any better. I was like, "This is this is drinking, guys. This is cool." And so we would take shots of Hawkeye, and then we would like blow something weird out of our nose, trying to keep it down. Yeah, that was drinking. And then we drank like Bud Light and Rolling Rock. Sure, I think something special about this that era of like early drinking especially illicit drinking is that you will never get in your life drink alcohol that is both so bad and so warm because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so often you're having to like hide it under a bed or something you can't keep it cool so it's like the shittiest vodka at like <laughs> perhaps above room temperature if it's like right next to a radiator it could be like slightly <clears throat> above body temperature acetate acetone vodka <laughs> I do remember actually drinking um, <laughs> Natty Light out of a duffel bag. What? <laughs> Wait, what? And it had like not been refrigerated at any point. My buddy like snuck it into our friend's basement, um, and it was just like room temperature, slightly warm Natty Light. And we're like, "Yeah, this is good tasting beer." <laughs> <laughs> so much hot beer experience early on in the drinking career. <laughs> it's not it's not the way you're supposed to do it, but I couldn't get my hands on any Kyle's Killer Lemonade. <laughs> I think I was like a rum and coke person, because like everyone starts on like something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this conversation dovetails with Greg Matola's 2007 masterpiece, Superbad. <laughs> Michael, it is a masterpiece. It is. I was so excited that this was on your list, and and I, I think it is a, a well liked movie. But yeah. I think um, there there are people who regard it as a, a really important and incredibly well crafted comedy, and mm-hmm. I am among them. Sounds oh, like yeah, you are too. too. Tell us about you and Superbad. Um, it came out, like, I think, like, it was, like, the year that I was graduating, like, high school, so it was, like, a huge movie for me, like, this is, like, my graduation movie. Uh, watched it, like, plenty with friends, I think I watched it, like, probably, like, once or twice in theaters. It was, like, a movie that we just, like, watch all the time and, like, quote a lot. I think it would probably a similar experience to, like, everybody else during that time. Yeah, I also, uh, I it came out when I was in high school, and I immediately fell in love with it. I think that was a, a kind of a good moment for studio comedies. Oh, like, yeah. that run of mm-hmm. Apatow were good. Like, I oh, also yeah. loved Pineapple Express, which we I got right too. after this, and those were in hot rotation, but this mm. was far and away my favorite. Oh, it yeah. was a DVD I watched monthly for a couple of years, mm-hmm. which I can't say for many movies. So, this movie is near and dear to my heart. Which brings me to a huge question mark, which is, 
Bethy, I have no concept of your relationship with this movie, what you think of this movie. Where do you land? I like this movie. I I saw it in theaters. I think I was in college when it came out. So it didn't have quite as like a vice like grip on me as like some of the earlier like Apatow ones, like Forty Year Old Virgin. Mm-hmm. Like that was a DVD that I had in college and I didn't have a super bad DVD in college. So I think mm-hmm. that Probably is why it feels like, like, you know, when, (laughs) you know, when like your, your family or like people in your generation start having kids and like the first kid is like so exciting. (laughs) And then as more and more of your friends or your relatives start having more kids, it's like, oh, another cousin. That's (laughs) cool. That's cool. Uh, Super bad. I, I see that it is gifted, but I am estranged from it in my family it's not we don't keep in as close contact as i would like Mm. in the comedy what is like what is like your high school movie okay um because when i went to high school the comedies weren't necessarily the studio comedies coming out weren't necessarily that good like middle Mm. school was like 10 things I hate Bringing about you. Bringing a baby you. for you, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was mostly, yes, football comedies, Bringing a Baby, My Man Godfrey, you know, the classic. Sorry, you were, you, were saying, you were saying real stuff. I think you said 10 things I hate about you. Yeah, but that was middle school. In high school, I was like watching, my favorite comedy was What Hot American Summer. Oh, that's like, mm. it's such a good movie. I would watch that and like Clerks the Animated Series. Like, mm. Back to back, just sort of like, sure. I'll, I'll do the whole DVD of the whole Clerks Animated series, and then Wet Hot, and then I'll do all six episodes of Clerks again, and then Wet Hot, ad infinitum with a couple Monty Pythons thrown in, because I was very cool in <laughs> high school. Yeah, it's really important for high schoolers to like stuff that's really good and also stuff that's really bad. Um, <laughs> Clerks the Animated series holds up. We rewatched it in Quar. It kind of still rocks. No, I think it's great. I think the original Clerks like holds up. I think I think that's like probably Kevin Smith's be- best movie. I've never seen the animated series. Mm. Oh yeah, it's cute. Yeah, I still think. Sorry, my favorite Kevin Smith anecdote, which is that he introduced a screening of Mandy mm-hmm. um, and oh. told the audience that he had watched the movie at Veggie Grill. <laughs> <laughs> like on his phone or what? I, I presumably on an iPad or a laptop. <laughs> Mike so much because I'm hyperventilating. <laughs> He's like eating like fake chicken and like watching on his iPad. <laughs> I guess. And apparently he's like really enthusiastically extolling the creative virtues of Mandy before revealing apparently with incredible if unintentional comedic timing that he watched it at Veggie Grill. <laughs> he just sat there for the whole And so there's movie. a running joke with some of my friends that their favorite their favorite movie theater or their favorite site for repertory exhibition is the Veggie Grill. <laughs> it's really stupid, sorry. I, I get, I'm getting us off track, but... Um... Veggie Grill's buffalo chicken sandwich is really good. <laughs> is that the Buffalo Bomber? It's been a yeah, few it years. Yeah, it but... is. I was ahead for that thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I'm crying. <laughs> I respect that. That's like unpretentious, I think. I think that's cool. <laughs> totally unpretentious. He also, uh, I worked on a movie called Brigsby Bear, and oh, he yeah. uh, posted like a a photo booth video of himself crying while watching a scene from the movie <laughs> to like show his support and like 
That is a strange thing to do, but I think was ultimately pretty endearing. I think he actually was like weeping on video. I mean, that's that's like that's like his thing, though, right? Like he does that with like a lot of like superhero movies he likes. <laughs> really? So that's his that's his endorsement, I think. Kevin's tears. <laughs> this movie's <laughs> yeah. soaked with them. That's how you know it's good. Because he did it for like Endgame, I remember, and like he did it for like Batman v Superman. Oh shit! I remember the Endgame one. He does this for like every movie. Yeah. I love that he's a crier. That's so cute. Yeah. I think it's sweet. We're here to talk about Greg Matola. Oh sure, sure. We are here to talk about Greg Matola, who I, <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble probably with all of our listeners, but I like mm-hmm. him more than Kevin Smith. Oh sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm a I'm a huge Greg Matola fan and I I have been for a long time. I love Day Trippers, which Bethy I know is a movie you recently discovered and loved. Yeah. Um I love Adventureland, which Adventureland's came after great. Superbad. I love Adventureland. That movie's great. It, I think it's a coming of age classic and I, it was marketed in a weird way and it's like less joke forward than Superbad, but sure. I think it's equally resonant and i yeah. think speaks to the way that greg matola adeptly handles emotion and, yeah, and, and young relationships mm-hmm. um sorry michael jump in adventureland tell us more oh uh i think that's like one of the I, i'm not a huge like ryan reynolds person but i think he's like really good in that movie it, like leans into yes. like what's good about him that he's like kind of a scumbag a hot cypher and like christian yeah. stewart's really good in that movie yeah and the quality of yeah. the light in that movie is really good too. It's it's so summery. In oh that yeah, movie. Yes. it's crazy. That movie also, much like Superbad, which we're about to talk about, mm-hmm. has this really nice tactile filmic mm-hmm. look. Mm-hmm. Um, his movies have not all of them. I think he directed Paul as well. Oh, that sounds right. Which I'm not a fan of. That's like the that's, Rogue and you know, Alien movie, right? With some yeah, does doesn't quite work, but Superbad and Adventureland are, are gorgeous movies, and I just think he's a really highly competent director oh, yeah. who, you know, asserts a sure hand over all of the improvisation and looseness so that the movies feel really tightly crafted. Yeah, like, Superbad is, like, very cinematic, which, like, I'm always, like, very impressed by, like, especially for, like, that time during, like, all the Apatow comedies. I think it's, like, the most, like, visually impressive movie. I think so, too. And it we can get into it, but I think there are a lot of creative choices that were made that have rendered Superbad timeless. Oh, so yeah. I think regardless of how you feel about the movie, it doesn't feel rooted to an era because mm-hmm. it was kind of intentionally made that way. I don't know if I agree. It feels extremely rooted to a certain era to me, but mm-hmm. only not in the way that that Matola is shooting it, but just in the scripting. Mm-hmm. Just like it took me a little bit to get into it, but because I had forgotten a little bit what that level of cursing was like. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That level of cursing, sure. that style of cursing has mm-hmm. and and like casual gay bashing, which is like true to the time, so you can't be like, sure. you know, upset. You can be. You can be upset by whatever you want to be upset by. But yeah. I wasn't upset by it as like a person who was there at the time and remember how people talked. But I was like, Oh yeah, that's how we all talked with that many like fucks. Yeah. They're like authentically like shitty teen boys, Mm -hmm. which like, I really like about it. I I like that too. And I I think definitely you're right, Bethy, all of that stuff is present and feels very rooted 
to that moment. But I think the thing that I like about it is that it doesn't rely overly on pop culture references. Mm -hmm. Like there are references here and there, but it's a movie that kind of speaks its own language and is funny specifically within this world and the way these characters interact with each other. There's nothing about it that feels sort of like cheap or like it hinges on like an awareness of its moment and culture. Mm-hmm. Even if you're right, it's, it's a writing style that feels very Apatow that feels very that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I don't know, but I, I agree that it's very vulgar. I think a way that the movie ultimately is redeemed is that these are children, right? Mm-hmm. Like these are like dumb kids yeah. who are in a place to learn lessons that they ultimately learn. And I think they end the movie much better people than where they start. Mm -hmm. And I think probably one reason why it does have that timeless quality is that it was written so much earlier than it was made. It's possible that when like Seth and Evan were in high school, like starting the process, it was more pop culture, but as time marched on, they're like, well, we Mm -hmm. can't talk about that. This is too Canadian. It like by the process of its long gestational period, it had to be timeless. I'm always like very impressed by the fact that like they started the script and they were like 13 years old. That's so yeah. wild. For listeners who don't know, part of the sort of like fun myth of Superbad is that the Seth and Evan are Seth Rogan and Evan Goldberg, who are you know lifelong friends. They direct a bunch of shit together. And they allegedly wrote the bones of this script when they were in high school about themselves. And obviously, you know, it changes as new people are attached and years pass. But it's, it is in some ways autobiographical. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're going to dig into it real good. Michael, do you want to take a crack at just sort of giving the broad strokes of the super bad story for anyone who doesn't know what this movie is? Um, it's like two friends that are like about to like graduate high school. They want to, like, get laid. Uh, a friend, or sorry, like, uh, their friend, like, uh, Fogel, like, gets, like, a fake ID, which they're going to use to, like, get beer for, like, a girl that is going to have, like, a big party that, like, Seth is into. Uh, that's a terrible description of the movie. No, that's good. And then a bunch of the conflict emerges from Fogel getting punched in the face while he's trying to buy liquor <laughs> at the second <laughs> store he's tried. And so he ends up in the backseat of a police car mm-hmm. that is taking a very long time to get him where he's going. Meanwhile, Seth and Evan are improvising, trying to find beer of their own, and everyone gets into the dumbest trouble possible with an incre- <laughs> incredible cast of characters. Yeah. So we can just get into it. We can talk about whatever the fuck we want. There's a lot here. <laughs> M- Michael, if you were to pitch someone on Superbad, if you were to try to convince someone who was on the fence about watching this movie to watch it for the first time, where would you go? What do you love most about it? I think it's, like, one of the best movies about, like, male friendship. Like, it really gets into, like, how, like, insecure, like, teen boys are, but, like, also, like, how much they rely on one another and, like how sad it is, like, at the end of high school for, like, people to part. I think it's a really, like, a really good, like, coming-of-age story. Yeah, I, I find Jonah Hill's performance interesting and resonant as an adult with distance in a way that I didn't as a teenager. Mm-hmm. As a teenager, I was like, oh, he's the, he's the foul-mouthed friend. He's so funny. Can't wait to see what trouble he gets us into. <laughs> but the way that, like... He is, he is so sort of teetering on the brink of collapsing as a result of his insecurity, how much he depends on his friend, 
the way that their relationship is hanging in the balance with this fucked up secret of Evan and Fogel rooming together at the school Seth couldn't get into, like mm-hmm. all of that is very sweet and real. And I think yeah. the ways that he's a loudmouth and the way he's an asshole are a root of that insecurity. And it is a very recognizable teen boy type having once oh, yeah. been one. Sure. Like, he's a very sad character. Yeah, he's so full of self-loathing and the way that so much of it winds up manifesting as, like, aggression towards Fogel or just, like, uh, like misogyny? Like, he develops <laughs> out of it, but, like, early in the movie, he's, like, not not advocating for date rape, but it's fine if they're both drunk and everybody had vibes before they started to get drunk is the theory. But like, he can't imagine a world where anyone would choose him sober. And like, that's where he's starting from. And that's truly heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very sad and pathetic. But I I think a thing that is like, I, I can still laugh at all of it. Because all of the nasty stuff he's saying is purely in the realm of the theoretical, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, he doesn't understand how any of this works. No, he yeah. doesn't understand how the world works. He doesn't fully understand what sex is. He is just someone who is relegating himself to the fringe because he's afraid of being rejected. Um, and so even when they're really nasty at the beginning, I'm laughing because like they're children who are never going to do anything nefarious. They're just like dumb. So that brings me to a question. What do you think three quarters of a hand job is? Or is it three quarters of a blow job? <laughs> it's three quarters of a blow job. What does that mean? But who's counting? Mean? I think it's like without climax is what they're saying, right? Yeah. Or like, it's not just getting it three quarters of the way in your mouth, right? That would be insane. <laughs> or is it like harmonica style? <laughs> <laughs> That's like... Yeah, that's that's a that sounds like a, a Looney Tunes blowjob. <laughs> that uh that whole convenience store scene at the beginning of the movie, I I will be honest, I think every single line of dialogue in Superbad is funny. Oh, it's all incredible. Even now when I'm watching it, I'm like just giggling like an idiot because there is such a there is a really great improvisational quality of it like all the dialogue is good. And like, oh yeah, it's, it, it's just, it's so well directed. But that scene in the convenience store when they're talking about sex and they're talking about their aspirations, it's so fucking funny. And the way they shoot the back half of that over the shoulder of the unwitting <laughs> clerk who's just hearing Seth say like the most demented stuff you've ever heard. Like Evan, there's this great moment where Evan is referencing another guy who is like sort of his competition or one of his forebears. And Seth says, yeah, but that guy's a fucking idiot you're actually a step up from that dick load like i i don't know the the way the crassness with which they speak to each other just makes me howl yeah i mean that is like how boys like talked at least like was during like the 2000s when i was like growing up i think it's like very accurate yeah i i wrote down one of my favorites in that part was when seth says he doesn't want to suck dick at fucking pussy <laughs> I think that's beautiful. And I also, I was really fixated on when he says that uh, Becca, the girl that Evan likes, looks like a good fucker. And Evan's like very upset by that. And I'm like, honestly, I think being a good fucker is a step up from being a good fuck. Because it, it implies more active engagement in the activity. Sure. I don't know. I think it's I think it's nice to be called a good fucker <laughs> rather than a good fucker. Really, mm-hmm. <laughs> lean in. Yeah. <laughs> There's a 
goof in that scene that my friends and I would quote all the time in high school, which is the line where they're talking about how, like, men aren't allowed to flaunt their erections. <laughs> and, and Seth's like, you know what I do? I flick my boner up into my waistband. I did that. <laughs> Feels certainly. so good I almost blew a load into my belly button. <laughs> <laughs> which is is so inspired and specific an image while being just utterly crass that's super bad baby <laughs> i wanted to talk a bit about the the timeless quality of this movie and i, I know bethy i i think you're totally right that the scripting feels very much of an era but i think there are some intentional design choices that that make the movie feel like something that can endure like the whole mm -hmm. thing where seth has to go back to evan's house because he doesn't want his parents to find out that he got his car towed and ground him and so he's wearing evan's dad's clothes <laughs> and suddenly it's a movie that's like not at all rooted in the fashion of the day but like they're just dressed like vaguely 70s yeah it's like a 70s throwback yeah it's something like american graffiti or something right right but then also that shirt the western style shirt was what hipsters wore at the time that's true which i thought was neat that it could be like this is actually quite a like current fashion moment as well as making it feel timeless it does both at the same time like it has good poster appeal while also being timeless i think that was like the beginning of like the 70s throwback time right mm -hmm. uh, yeah i think that was like well there's a couple different we don't have time to get into trend cycles right now, Michael. It is, that would be its own podcast. We don't have time. So you're saying the the clothes, the soundtrack, again. The soundtrack, absolutely. Like the opening credits are just like a 70s throwback. Mm -hmm. Incredible. And then you have just the open on the two of them talking about porn. Yeah. And and suddenly you have some of the most iconic dialogue in cinema when you're talking <laughs> about the vagtastic voyage and picking the porn site with the least crude name. <laughs> I, I, there's this exchange where Evan's like, what about a site called The Perfect Ten? That could be anything. That could be like, like a bowling, bowling. website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a huge problem is that it doesn't show dick going in. Have you ever seen a vagina by itself? Not for me. Okay, so that brings me to a thing of... Uh, the character Seth should investigate his potential bisexuality. Right. Sure. It's there. Like it's bubbling under the surface. He's obsessed with dicks. He is not obsessed with vagina in the same way. It's more about what they can do in relation to dicks. That's right. He like says like he doesn't want to see it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not for me. <laughs> I, I, I do think despite that character saying homophobic stuff the like runner of him clearly having an ill-defined understanding of his own sexuality doesn't feel cruel to me it feels no. like playful you know like someone who just doesn't know themselves mm -hmm. and so it manifests in like just this combative ignorance yeah the way this movie is sort of just like a gentle tousling of the hair of seth and evan when like, oh, you and Becca, I would say also also gets a little bit yeah. of, oh, you ragamuffin, you mm -hmm. head tousel. Yeah, they like constantly play up the that they're like kind of a couple like yeah, and like uh, Seth is like very jealous of like Evan and Fogel for like the same reason. Like he doesn't want to be replaced at all as like the other half of this like couple. Absolutely. Or like when they're in home ec and he's staring across the room oh, longingly at Evan and Maroki. <laughs> so much fun. Nobody's ever had this much it fun. It looks like the most fucking fun I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> it does look really fun. 
<laughs> Moroki seems cool. Moroki rocks. It's it's hard to talk about Superbad without just going scene by scene only because this movie is in my bones. But like that that home ex scene when Emma Stone is introduced, like that that's the movie that launched her. Like it's mm-hmm. it's such a star making performance. She's oh, yeah. so charming. I yeah. also think that she's given an interesting amount of agency and depth despite being the object of interest for these mm-hmm. two dumb boys. Yeah. Yeah, like she genuinely likes Seth. Yeah. I think all of the girls are given a lot to work. Maybe not necessarily the one Nicola? that sleeps. Yeah, Nicola. <laughs> who has okay. a, We were gonna go to Hawaii. Nicola has a one name. She's played by a woman named Aviva. One name. So McLovin's oh, really? Lady Interest has a is a mono name like McLovin. Hmm. And I think that's hmm. crazy. But anyway, I think Whoa. yeah, Becca and Emma Stone, who has a character name, you know Jules. Jules, Jules. thank you. They both feel very well drawn as different people. And technically, this movie passes the Bechtel test because they talk about replacing the comforter at the very end. <laughs> it does acknowledge that these people exist outside of, like, Seth and Edmund's sphere and have, like, interiority, mm. for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say it. I think Superbad's a good movie. <laughs> I do. There's one thing about the, the the love interest in this movie, as I was watching it, that kind of weirded me out. They all kind of look the same. What do you oh, mean? Is that true? Becca, Nicola, and Jules all have sort of like brown to auburn hair. Hmm. Um, they both have like they all have like kind of big foreheads, kind of flatter features, and huh. like stacked physiques, and, sure. feel, and like w- really pale, like freckly skin. They kind of all look the same to me, and it weirds me out. In much the same Bethany, way. Bethany, you could be describing me. In much the same <laughs> way that the party scene, the adult party scene, has Kevin Corrigan, Joel Atrulio, mm-hmm. and David Crumholtz all in the same scene. And you can't tell me that those aren't three evolutions of the same Pokemon of a man. <laughs> you can't tell me that. Yeah, there's clearly something huge going on. I like that the, like, the adult party is like the dark version of like what they're going through. Like This is like the life you're going to get if, this, like, if you never move on from this. If you can't figure out how to grow emotionally, have fun headbutting people at a very weird party. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, like, terrifying. The dark party is so good. Yeah, when I was watching it this time, I remember as a high schooler, it didn't really occur to me how frightening this party is. But watching it now, I'm like, whoa, the level of violence, like, the way he knocks him down outside. Like, this is a night in hell for (laughs) Seth and Evan. And then it ends up having, like, some of the funniest shit that I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> like when Evan is in the back room and they think he's Jimmy's brother and they're all <laughs> yeah. coked to shit and they make him sing. These eyes. It's like the best scene in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I love that scene. And when later when they're all fighting, one of them says, get his arms, Jimmy's brother. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I had never noticed what gets like lost in the mix is Evan says what? In that moment, and Evan is in a reclining chair with a dude on top of him. That dude's getting punched to shit, and they're telling him to get the guy's arms, and he's literally, like, flattened against the chair. It's like a really zany comic bit. Michael, if you you had to tell us three of what you believe to be the funniest, most iconic goofs in Superbad... Uh-huh. Where does your head first go? I do think, like, the these eyes scene is, like, incredible. I think, like, 
Fogel's, like, first appearance at the liquor store is, like, really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I actually, like, I like that, like, all the, like, workers, like, do not want to deal with these, like, weird teen boys at all. <laughs> I think that's, like, really funny. The guy at the liquor store who has to clean up the mess and has the yeah. fuck my life. But then he shows up later <laughs> at, at the, the adult party. Yeah, yeah, just raging. There's, like, so much good, like, setup and payoff. Like, everybody comes back at some point to, like, bring back what they were there for. Except for the woman who's the liquor store attendant. But oh, that's, that's right. she has to study for her exam. That's yeah, she's right. she's got a vet exam in the morning. She doesn't need this. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that they're, like, both characters, though, which, like, I don't feel like happens a lot. Totally. Also, like, she's really sympathetic. You're like, wow, she's dealing with the fucking dumbest people. Like, let's get her out of here. I <laughs> uh, do they like, every scene with McLovin and the cops is, like, kind of incredible. And that's this, like, weird, yeah. like, crime story that's going on. <laughs> like, it feels like Bad Lieutenant or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bro Lieutenant, because it's just... They haven't, again, it's another, like, dark mirror of, like, this is what you could be if you don't get your shit together, yeah. man. Yeah, like, Hater feels like what McLovin could grow up to be. And it's, like, terrifying, because Hater is, like, so scary in that movie, <laughs> which I didn't, like, ever remember before. Yeah. That this movie, I didn't appreciate how ACAB this movie was when I first saw it, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, they're they're pretty dumb guys. <laughs> but they're, like, actively corrupt, and they, like, try to, like arrest evan and seth and that scene is like really scary yeah they're terrible and it rules uh <laughs> when they when they ultimately bust up the party hater walks in and goes oh no it's the cops which is so <laughs> fucking funny when they're when they're trying to get the drunk guy at the restaurant i think it's hater is like should i or no it, it, it's rogue and it's like should i shoot him should i fire my gun I'm like no yeah, they always, like, pull out their guns, like, immediately, which, like, I think is, like, very prescient. <laughs> McLovin asking to hold the gun, and it doesn't occur to Seth Rogen to say no. <laughs> yeah, why not? I, I think everyone should hold a gun. A couple of It times. is, like, I'm always, like, I always think it's, like, very surprising. I think, like, other movies would not go for this, but I always think it's, like, kind of a nice version that they, like, actually like McLovin, and then they, like, think he's, like, a cool guy. Yeah. But also, like... I, I agree. Yeah. But it also, like, highlights that, like, they're, like, two, like, weird losers for, like, even, like, wanting to, like, hang out with this, like, high school kid and, like, show them, like, they're cool guys. Yeah, because they're, like, we hated cops when we were teens, so they still, they really care what teenagers think of them as, like, yeah, adult yeah. cops. <laughs> I, I do think I do think that scene is really sweet though and revealing because like their development is arrested. They still are teenagers who hate cops and mm -hmm. so they just are like without ideals wearing the uniform and fucking mm -hmm. around like children. Which I think is probably true of many police officers. It's just oh, they're sure. not fun to watch because they're not Seth Rogen and Bill Hader. <laughs> oh man i there there are just like so many incredible throwaway lines with them like when they leave the liquor store and seth rogan's like you don't want to take the bus man buses smell like piss you know why because <laughs> people piss on him <laughs> i always like think of the scene where like bill haters like going through like all of his different like wives that he's had and then like the scene oh, yeah. uh, he like one is, like, uh, promiscuous, I guess, and the other one, uh, it's funny that he says, like, she's, like, this great lady, and then, like, uh, Rogan is, like, offhand, is like, oh, yeah, you'll meet her, like, as if they're, like, ever gonna be, like, friends <laughs> beyond this moment. It's so, it's so funny. 
And it's like so funny. They're like they bonded with him to that point. Also, in that moment, he means it. Like even oh, yeah. though they know he's not twenty one, like mm-hmm. they fully like him. They want to keep yeah. hanging out with him, and no, their feelings are ultimately hurt when he runs away. Yeah, like they actually like feel betrayed when he runs away. <laughs> Those are this like seventeen <laughs> year old kid who they haven't like they kind of kidnap just a little. He's a little kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. It's, like, genuinely, like, kind of dark and, like, scary what he's, like, McLovin's going through. <laughs> Definitely. And also, like, the movie is reasonably grounded for a comedy. Like, mm-hmm. all of the performances are dynamic enough that, like, everyone's funny and colorful. Mm-hmm. But, like, a lot of it's recognizable. Like, it's very Definitely. much the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like you're saying, those, like, frightening scenarios. I think the older I get watching this movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, like, a... Uh, It's like not after hours, but it's like in the zone. (laughs) It's like, it's very much the world that we specifically, the three of us live in, because I know this movie seems to be set somewhere, but because it has like Clark County is like allegedly where Mm -hmm. it's taking place. But this is such a fucking Valley movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it's, and the parts of it that that are Valley are so like beautiful to me, the sort of suburban-y, neighborhood-y areas that you can, like, I I know there are mountains on, like, every side of, like, that liquor store, and it's, like, very cool mm-hmm. to think about. It's like, I don't know, it's just beautiful. That's uh, Glendale, right? That's where the liquor store is? It is Glendale, yeah. I think I've driven by it before. I don't know why I've never, like, gone and parked my car in the parking lot. <laughs> it's, it's like a, a mecca for me. I love Superbad. <laughs> We've been talking about McLovin a bit. I think think it's pretty extraordinary casting that oh, yeah. Christopher Mintz Plas was a discovery and like yeah. he had to be I think for mm-hmm. the role to work but like they found him they plugged him in he's perfect and like he's never really worked in a movie after this well, like from what I understand like he's like the only one that came in with the take that like oh he's like a guy that thinks he's cool yeah, yeah. like everyone else just like played him as like a very traditional nerd <laughs> that's so funny I didn't know that I mean he he he's in some stuff like he was in the uh fright night he was really good in the fright night remake he is uh it's sad when he dies <laughs> mm. sorry i didn't mean to say that he hasn't like worked isn't had a job he didn't like pop off in the same way yeah i i because it's stuff like role models and like they, mm. they kind of try to like do the mclovin thing again and it doesn't really work but i don't sure. really remember him in the fright night remake he plays like the dopey little he's like friend. the best friend right Again. yeah yeah he gets turned into a vampire he's in uh kick-ass he's like pretty good in kick-ass oh i forget he's in kick-ass yeah, yeah it's like one of the other he's he's like the rich kid bad yeah superhero and he's like kind yeah. of the bad guy okay i'm wrong christmas plus has been in, okay and stuff but he's great at this and what a discovery well he's like hasn't been in anything in a while right i feel like he was in promising young woman he's like one of okay. her like dates in the first oh, act. okay he is one of those people who is more known for the one character that they played in one movie. Like, if you mm-hmm. say Christopher Mintz plots, people, some people will know what you're saying, but if you say McLovin, more people will know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like, like, the guy who played Booger in Revenge of the Nerds, or like, uh-huh. um, Jaleel White, you know? Like, these are people who mm-hmm. are so identifiable with their character that it's like, people just probably shout McLovin at him, like, daily. <laughs> I would guess. And the fact that he's better known as McLovin, I think, is a testament to the character's name selection. He was right <laughs> yeah. all along. 
that it's like such a funny idea of like what a cool adult is gonna be this like hawaiian organ donor (laughs) it's so good and i also i i imagine that is like not being premeditated i imagine that when he's talking to mike snyder about the fake id he's choking (laughs) in the same way that he chokes at the counter at the liquor store mike (laughs) snyder's like what's your name he's like uh McLovin? <laughs> and then retroactively, it's like, oh, no, I chose that for a reason. <laughs> Thomas, do you have a top three goofs that you wanted to discuss? Uh, I have some stray lines if you need time to think. There, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's stuff in the movie that I think is... Everything in the movie I think is funny. The runner of Seth getting hit by a car <laughs> is is funnier every time I see the movie. And also just the physicality of him getting hit in the parking lot. It's such a like low speed thing, but the way he <laughs> eats shit, the way his whole body just sort of pivots is so fucking funny. Yeah, that's that's the thing that's jumping out of me off the top of my head. But there's also a throwaway Bill Hader line um, when they're driving and they're like waving their flashlights like lightsabers. And he says, uh, do you know Yoda? Attack of the clones. It's <laughs> like the funniest <laughs> reference you could possibly pull for that. It's so funny, but it's also like it's it's like a it's kind of an anti reference. It's yeah. like not a reference like movies are reference heavy now. Like the joke mm-hmm. is like this guy's a moron. <laughs> oh, in much the same way, I I really fixated on Jello Trulia saying "You guys on MySpace" as they're driving to the adult party. <laughs> That's so funny. I tweeted that at someone yesterday when they said they were watching. It's like it. such a like period accurate creep. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I don't know if, if this is necessarily like a line that hot that hit me is very funny, but it was like, oh yeah, no, you can tell that like Bill Hader and Seth Rogen don't like the people they're playing because hmm. Bill Hader says like they take like a moment to talk about the time that he shot a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I shot that cat. The cat was already dead. Yeah, but I shot it. It was already dead. Yeah. Bill Hader's like character is like genuine, like scary throughout, in my opinion. <laughs> Like, the scene where he, like, arrests, yeah. like, he's trying to uh, arrest, like, Seth and Evan, I think is, like, kind of, like, very intense. This is Barry before Barry. We're seeing the yeah. scenes of Barry. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most iconic lines to me is when they're in the cafeteria after the dick exchange, and Evan has to leave to go to class, and Seth says, you're gonna leave me to eat dessert by myself like I'm fucking Steven Glansberg? <laughs> And then they cut over to the saddest kid you've ever seen. And just like the specificity of Steven Glansberg, just those words are burned into my brain. And that's a real guy they went to high school with. Oh, yeah, I did read that. <laughs> that reminds me so funny. another question for the group. How, what did you guys do in the cafeteria? What was your lunchroom style? Were you loners? Did you go with the group? I smuggled food into the library so that I could read comics. That was my thing. <laughs> Uh, we, like, didn't have, like, a traditional, like, lunchroom, so, like, just kind of, like, ate around, like, campus, so I would just, like, hang out with people by, like, the quad or whatever. You're from Southern California, right? So this yeah. probably is especially yeah. reflective of your experience. Yeah, this, like, actually, like, feels, like, pretty accurate to, like, what growing up in, like, Southern California as, as like, a high schooler was, like, back in, like, the 2000s. Did, um, your high school have outdoor lockers? We did, actually. Whoa, I always yeah. really like... I'm transfixed uh, by those every time we show. <laughs> that seemed so cool to me as a kid. I'm like, why can't I be on the fucking sunshine outdoor high school? <laughs> I'm over it. I feel better now. Um, I, I had a group of friends. We, we had concert band right before mm. lunch. And so 
me and my other boys who played brass instruments sat <laughs> at the table closest to the door. That's that's the whole story. <laughs> Wait, what instrument did you play? Uh, I played trumpet in concert band, and then I played uh, bass in jazz band. Okay, love that for you. I feel like I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again. When I, whenever I think about the brass section of like any band, I think about uh, my friend Alex Finger, who picked the trombone so he could call himself a tromboner. And like play, like he picked it in seventh grade and then kept playing it through high school and got really good. But it started as a bit, and I think about that sure. often. Oh, the things that high schoolers think are funny. <laughs> I appreciate any bit that becomes sincere. Yeah, when when you sort of Stockholm syndrome to the bit, like how I like Bosch now, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, I think mine is probably listening to "Shape of You" by Ed Sheeran. Yeah. I think like you do you do something enough as a joke, yeah, that you start to interrogate why you're doing it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you start to do it by yourself, when no one's around, maybe it's not a joke anymore. Maybe yeah. you just like shape. Yeah, maybe you, you sincerely like these things. This is the first time I've heard you say Ed Sheeran and not Ed Sherman. Yeah, I think it's funny to call him Ed Sherman. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, just a dumb bit. But I also, I think his song from The Hobbit, where he just sings the plot of The Hobbit 2. Wait, Ed Sheeran's cool. got a song on The Hobbit? No. Yeah, it, he does. He does. What? It's the It's the end credits song. And it is what? a song written explicitly for that details the plot of The Desolation of Smaug. Oh my god. What rhymes with Smaug? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't call him by name. Uh, but the song is called I See Fire, um, and it's about seeing uh, the mountain light up. You realize Smaug's about to do his thing again, and it rips. It's like one of those like 80s songs. It's like you've got Back in Time and Back to the Future, where you're like singing a song about Marty and his exploits. It's like that, <laughs> but it's Ed Sheeran in, like, uh, you know, a little melancholic songwriter mode. <laughs> there are two Sherman songs that are good. I didn't realize The Hobbit had a single. Like, I knew there was, like, a Howard Shore song, like, a Howard Shore uh, com- uh, composition, obviously, but I didn't know there, was, like, there were, like, singles of it. Dude, I See Fire's a ripper. You cut okay. to credits on Ed Sherman singing Oh Misty Eye of the Mountain Below. Uh, it is, it's something. Colin, you should cut okay. in a little bit of this right now so we everyone gets a taste. Yeah. I see fire Inside the mountains I see fire Sharon's never been better than he is in The Hobbit. And uh, I say that even for you Game of Thrones heads. Oh, yeah, because he was in that. I want to talk about the the bedroom scene <laughs> with Evan and Becca. It's mm, so it's good. It's fucking art is what it is. It's very, like, authentically awkward. Apparently, like, they were both, like, actually drunk during wow. that scene. that's funny. I believe the performances. Like, apparently the Becca, the, the actual plays, uh, it's Beth, right? Who uh, is like, uh, she was like much more comfortable with it than like Sarah was, which like kind of reads actually. It fits for the scene too. Yeah. But, yeah. but seeing her experience of like trying to be sexy and thinking that she's fucking nailing it the whole time. She's like, I'm so good at being hot. You can tell that's like the inner monologue while she's doing all this stuff. It's like so so fucking real of like early 
experiences, like all bravado, but all like, you know, fake it till you make it and it's going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to give you the best blow jay with my mouth. <laughs> with my mouth. <laughs> it's the, the rhythm with my mouth. <laughs> Yeah. Or, or when she's like, Evan, you have such a smooth cock. And he says, thanks, you would too, if you were a man. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And like, I think, too, the fact that a scene like that is so deftly handled, I think, is what gives Superbad an enduring quality that it might not otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, if they had bungled the culmination of their efforts, mm-hmm. it, it, it could have been bad. It could have been shitty. But everyone yeah. kind of like learns their lesson and 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 realizes yeah, like evan is like sweet in that scene yeah. like he doesn't want to do it because it's like wrong he, to do it toast to respecting women when he takes a shot <laughs> uh but it, it also doesn't feel like no part of it is like look at this virtuous man it's just kind of like two people mm-hmm. who are figuring out being dumb teenagers yeah. mm-hmm. i think somebody figured out along the way because in the 80s they were all like the the animal house and the porkies ripped ripoffs where yeah. uh it's like yeah, sexual pranks is what people call it. like sex pranks were such a huge part of that genre and i think at some mm-hmm. point somebody figured out that uh stopping before the sex prank is uh completed will make it a funner watch for everyone involved uh mm-hmm. yeah we don't even need to get into revenge of the nerds which michael mentioned but that's kind of like the uh definitive probably the nadir yeah. i think yeah. I saw that at, like, 3 in the afternoon, like, that scene at 3 in the afternoon on Comedy Central when I was, like, 8. Jesus. Shifting cultural values. There's, like, a good runner, though, where, like, both of them realize, like, it doesn't have to be, like, transactional. Like, they're gonna like you for you. Right. Also, I, I that whole scene with Seth and Jules is mm. very sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. When he's, like, really drunk and stupid. Even, like, from the beginning of that, it's so mm-hmm. endearing. And also, like... Her performance is really interesting. The way she's yeah. kind of aware of everything that's happening mm-hmm. and just decides to go along with it because there's a part of her that likes Seth, even though he's being an idiot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's All of that stuff is really well handled. I agree. But it's really just the lead up to the Panama needle drop. <laughs> that seems incredible. Yeah. The second Panama that's drops so and they like roar into the parking lot to destroy the cop car, That's that's like euphoric cinema to me. Yeah, that part's incredible when he starts to do the donut and fucks up so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Rogan is like, he's usually not as drunk when he does this, but I don't know, maybe it'll make it be even cooler. Oh, wait. Oh, no. Oh. oh. <laughs> Apparently, like, Panama is, like, something that they were just, like, humming during, like, the time. And, like, Reg Matola is like, we're not going to be able to get the rights for it. But they, like, were able to get the rights for it and, like, worked out. <laughs> That's so funny. I also like to know that that song would like be the ripper before like you're ever in the edit. They're just like, oh, oh, yeah. we know this is Panama. <laughs> it's a Panama vibe. It's like in the trailer. I remember that was like, that was selling the trailer. <laughs> I need to go back and watch a super bad trailer. I don't think I have since it was originally advertised, but I would love to know how they marketed this movie. Yeah, I don't remember now. I mean, it's sort of like a one crazy night movie and like i think the the directed by greg matola was not publicized the produced by judd apatow was Mm -hmm. right yeah and and the written by seth rogan and evan goldberg but it was like mostly on seth rogan and judd apatow i remember that this was like rogan's big break right 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Because in Knocked Up, he he has like a pretty big role. Yeah, well, he's like the main guy. Yeah, yeah, no, but like, but like, yeah, yeah, but like, by the time Superbad came out, like, people were looking for him to be in something, which was not true before. Yeah, that. Well, it was like the first time he's like a big like creative force, I think. Yeah, yeah. Just think that this movie probably bought like his pottery wheel and his. <laughs> he earned it. And like half of his glazes. <laughs> Go off. <laughs> love Seth Rogen's part. Yeah, Rogen's like always gonna be cool to I, me. I continue to yeah, love him. Yeah, I love him. Seth Rogen. Yeah. He wrote Super Bad. I'm like never gonna turn against Seth Rogen. <laughs> no. And he's like, I don't know, anytime he shows up in something, I'm happy. Like, I think he's great in 50 50. I think he's uh, the long shot. Oh, long shot was so good. I, I like the long he's shot. He's good in that Steve Jobs movie where he's like Wozniak, I think. Oh, shit. Yeah, he's like really good in that movie. Yeah, he is. I like him. He seems like pretty decent of a guy. I've I've heard that too. Aside from, you know, Franco Association, sure. but like everyone of them hung out with Franco. Yeah. Dave Franco's in this movie. Oh yeah. He's the, the he's playing As soccer. Greg, yeah. the pants pisser. <laughs> he would have pissed himself. I don't think I like ever noticed. People don't him forget. <laughs> yeah, Dave Franco sneaks up on you. I uh, didn't like him for a long time, and eventually something wore me mm-hmm. down, and now I'm like, game. But there was a long time where I like, anytime he would deliver a line, it just felt like he was sneering, like he was always talking out of the corner sure. of his mouth, and it's just always kind of the same thing, but I don't know. I like the movie he directed. He directed a movie? Seems like a fine guy. Yeah, The Rental. I haven't seen The Rental. Which is that like, Dan Stevens oh. slasher. Oh. Yeah, it's like a weird movie for him but i actually think it's pretty good came out that last sounds year. interesting sorry we didn't we didn't need to go full franco mode <laughs> that's my bad i thought when you said this is all prelude to the big scene i thought you meant the heart to heart in the sleeping bags at the end oh man not panama that scene is like kind i think it's like fantastic and apparently that's like not in the original script at all oh wow, oh, wow. like i guess like the original script like ends like at the party but like apto's like you're not like taking this, this emotional conclusion so they wrote that scene and, like, the mall scene, which are, like, the two best scenes in the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a really good note from Apatow. Yeah. Back when he was super in the zone. But having them actually just, like, speak their love for each other is good. Mm-hmm. And and so good that they're actually going to allow themselves to, like, grieve the loss of this friendship. It'll make them less shitty people as they, like, move forward with their lives. And hopefully will help Evan not room with Fogel, because he should not room with Fogel at Dartmouth. Mm. Not because <laughs> sure. Fogel's bad, but just because he should meet new people. If mm-hmm. you know somebody at school, you should room with somebody else. That way you have two friends. Like, mm-hmm. So you've got your friend, and then you've got your roommate, and then you've also got your yeah. friend's roommate, and from there, you can really branch out and like make connections. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. It's a really good movie about like male friendship and the like, you both, like, don't want all of these people, but, like, also, like, these are, like, the only, like, support system you have, and they're, like, f- they're familiar, and it's, like, scary to, like, move on from that. This makes me think of, not to walk it back too much, but there's a moment right before they get home that's so funny, which is when uh, Seth is carrying Evan away from the party, and Evan wakes up, and they're talking for a bit, and then Evan just says, should I walk? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is so funny. Like, it hasn't occurred to Seth yet. He's too busy saving him. <laughs> should, should I walk? Should you put me down? <laughs> the morning after is, like, really funny, too, which is, like, very awkward. Oh, yeah. Like, it's played, like, almost like a, like, oh, like, they should have not have, like, exposed themselves this much to, like, 
how vulnerable they're being. It does read like one night stand. Yeah, it feels like a one night stand. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just a sweet way of hyperbolizing the way that, Mm -hmm. you know, as a teen boy who says the F word, you shouldn't be saying sweet stuff to your boys. (laughs) (laughs) I feel I I hope that meme culture has helped erode that a little bit in Gen Z. Like all the kiss the homies goodnight you know, saying love <laughs> to your homies. I think that there is more room for affection as a bit now than there was then. I and think I, so. I hope that helps. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. I think we're like, uh, we've definitely moved on from like, oh, this is like gay. I think we've like moved on past from that. Yeah. Which I think is like a staple of like a lot of like Avatar movies. Like, oh, like the only two like way you could be like be good friends is like, oh, you're both like kind of lovers. I like that as an overarching Apatow thesis of this era. Yeah. I think it's, like, interesting. Just secretly queer cinema the whole time. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bethy, what are we missing? What are we missing? This isn't this isn't necessarily something we're missing, but the thought that popped into my head when you're we watching the movie, you know, I was enjoying the, the period blood on the pants scene mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. and thinking about, like, what other gross things haven't been in movies yet. Has there been like a raunchy comedy with like butt chugging or like a vodka soaked tampon or anything not that i can think of now because i want to see that please i don't want to yeah. see that but i want it to be a plot point does that make sense i feel like there's a way no to definitely to shoot it you'll figure it no, out no bethy wants to see it all in extreme <laughs> close-up <laughs> dogma 95 style <laughs> i'm surprised i was like not shut up yet because it has been like a thing people have been talking about for like forever yeah we'll get there I'm sure I, it's it's honestly probably in one of the three comedies Netflix releases a week that look sure. like shit and no one has ever heard of that just get lost. I googled the plot of Blockers because I thought I remembered there being like a scene in the trailer mm. about that, but I hmm. it wasn't in the Wikipedia summary, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think it's in Blockers. Should we watch Blockers? I like Blockers. There aren't really that many like teen comedies anymore, right? Like there's like... Booksmart, and there's, yeah. like, blockers. That's all I can think of right now. Yeah. Yeah, or there was Good Boys around the same time as oh, blockers. Oh, that's true. But both of those yeah. are, like, one of them is about kids that are even younger, and then the other one is really about the parents. Like, the teen... Teens are sad, so it's all, like, euphoria and Gossip Girl oh, reboot. Sure. Eat hot chip yeah. and lie. <laughs> Here's something. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked about the drawing the dick scene. Oh, sure. (laughs) Which is another really iconic sequence. It is iconic. And I wonder if that kid ever found out what he was drawing. Like, because they always, they do a very good job. These are definitely like pen 15 rules where like the child is never in the same room as the dick pictures. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all like, if you see a picture, it's it's like an adult hand in shot. And if mm-hmm. you see a kid, it's the back of a piece of paper. And I really want to know what that kid thinks now that he's like an adult. It's like, do you know, did you know that this is what you were doing when you did it? What did you know about shooting this? <laughs> I think they should have clockwork oranged the kid. I think they should have pried his eyes open. <laughs> And just plastered every one of the dick drawings on the wall and just made him soak it up. Method. Yeah, until he also starts manically drawing dicks as a stress relief. <laughs> I read that it was like apparently like Evan Goldberg's brother that drew all those pictures, which is really funny. Oh, yeah. I remember that from the commentary, I think. Mm. Yeah, there's... And it's... You can tell, too, because like they're going for the joke, obviously, but it's like there's a 
Doctor Strangelove dick that's like riding an atomic bomb, like with a cowboy hat. And... There's like the Tiananmen Square. Yeah, <laughs> like, I love the Tiananmen Square. <laughs> <laughs> it's references that perhaps uh, that child would not know. No, definitely. <laughs> In addition to all of the dick drawings they did, there's something that I read that was very funny, which is you know how the opening credits are like Seth and Evan dancing. Mm. Um, in like 70s color palette. So they just had Michael Sarah dance for like a really long time in front <laughs> of a green screen and they would shout prompts at him and just have him try stuff. And they'd be like, mow the lawn! <laughs> and so all of the moves you're seeing are a combination of like what Michael Sarah has, but also like what is being proposed to him. I think, you know, this movie and Scott Pilgrim, I think both really utilize the physical comedy skills of Michael Sarah in a way that don't always get to be used. Like, I wrote down in my notes that he is the anti-Tom Cruise vis-a-vis looking cool running. <laughs> like, he just looks so fucking dumb. <laughs> oh, the scene where he, like, runs from the cops. Yeah. It's so funny. He's <laughs> the fastest kid alive. He does look really fast. He's dumb as shit, but he does look very fast. But he, like, looks robotic, which is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I just remembered. I just had a, a full flashback. That one thing that when this movie came out that it did inspire me to do was it was the the dick drawing picture and I was in my like little street art phase. Uh, <laughs> tell us more. Uh, so I made stickers like using paint pens of vaginas and I put them up everywhere because I thought that it wasn't fair that dicks get doodled everywhere and there is no vagina doodles <laughs> anywhere. So I made a sure. bunch of vagina stickers and just put them up around town. <laughs> I think that rocks. <laughs> Were they like also like different variations on it? I was like really mass producing them, so hmm. there was some variation, but it was all like about the same palette. Like I didn't really have a lot of like look, I only had so many paint pens, so like the range of labia color is not representative of the population. <laughs> and in that way my drawing was very problematic, and for that I am sorry. <laughs> Bethy, you're forgiven, and, yeah. and Google Hang tried to to kick me out of this so that I couldn't compliment you on uh, <laughs> that endeavor, but I actually think it's political and great. Yeah. Yeah, they're trying to stop you from getting your your king crown for complimenting <laughs> <laughs> I take back what I said about corporations being cool. Hey, Google, you can eat uh, my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we did it. I feel like we... Uh, all just kind of said we like super bad, mm-hmm. which I think is what the audience wants to hear. I think it's like a beautiful movie. I think it's like probably the best movie of that time period. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's also, I think it's my favorite comedy. I can't think of a movie that makes me laugh more times in a minute than this does. And also because it came out at such a formative time, it's in sure. an intersection of those things. But like every line is funny. Yeah. Yeah. The comedy that you imprint on is so, so important. Such a thing that, yeah, for me, it's probably like wet hot. For you, it's super bad. Mm. Michael, is it super bad for you as well? Yeah, I think so. Just because, like, it just feels like so accurate to like how teen boys talked during that time period. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Well, Michael, this is rocked. Uh, if people love what you have to say and they want to know about the legend of Mr. Chow, where can <laughs> they where can they find you? Uh, they could find me at uh, at Sriracha Chow on Twitter, which is a uh, at S R I C H A C H A U. Uh, you can follow me there. 
I talk about movies. I talk a lot. I've been talking a lot about Superbad the last two days just because I just watched it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can follow me there. It's an essential follow. I think Michael's ratio of tweets that make me laugh out loud is unholy. Thank you. I'm just some guy. <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> Bethy, if people wanted to find you on Twitter, on Instagram, beyond, where might they look? Sure. I'm at BethyBSQU on Twitter and um, at Bethy Squires on Instagram. Thomas, you've got a Twitter. I do, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at uh, handsome underscore pal. Um, and you can find the show at Movie Bar Pod. And if you want to go over to Instagram to find the show, you can find us at Movie Bar underscore pod. All true. All true. Gang, we did it. Michael, what's our sign off this week? I know you've been you've been warming it up. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's sweet. That's sweet. That's really generous. I like that. Let's keep it. <laughs> Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. <laughs> <laughs>